From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest LPL Market Signals podcast. Jeff Bookbinder here, your regular host for today. Pleased to be joined by my friend and colleague, Jeffrey Roach. Uh, Jeff, thanks for joining. We got a little bit of a different uh, setup today. We are not going to do our regular sort of market recap and uh, and week ahead look. We'll give you a little bit on that. But we are going to spend the next uh, 30 minutes or so talking about our recently released 2024 LPL Outlook. So um, let's get right into it. It's it's uh, Monday, uh, December 11th as we're recording this. Uh, but the Outlook will be released on, uh, well, you'll see it by the time you listen to this on Tuesday morning, uh, December 12th. So here's the disclosures that we usually share. And here is the cover page for Outlook uh, 2024. So this this is always a fun process for me. Jeff, I know you've done a few of these now. Uh, first, I love the work that the designers do. It's just, um, it, they're amazingly uh, talented, Scott Wells being the lead designer. Uh, and then I also like the fact that it gives us a chance to all get together as a team and craft one story, you know, collaborating together. Uh, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. I've, I've done a you know, a couple dozen of these now, and I've enjoyed each and every one. Uh, Jeff, thoughts on uh, on the Outlook here? Uh, I'm glad to participate in this Outlook edition of Market Signal. So this this will be a lot of fun. And uh, you're you're exactly right, Jeff. That uh, we craft the words, or at least uh, the beginning stages, and then the graphs, and and then the uh, marketing experts help craft the narrative uh, with you know the phrase and the title and the graphics. It's a lot of fun. It is. We it is. We we end up. We think telling a story, and um, you know that's always uh, kind of a neat part of this. Coming up with the theme, telling the story, matching the the images uh, to the uh, to the content, and, and certainly we think uh, a lot of this will be of uh, of great interest to the general public, not just uh, industry folks. So, uh, so let's get to it. Economy. We're starting with your section, Jeff. So, uh, what do we have to look forward to for the global economy in 2024. Right. So so as we we're playing off this theme of the turning point, you think about um you know where we are uh, a few years outside the pandemic or the onset of the pandemic and uh what is happening as we go into 2024 and that theme of turning point really is trying to capture a, a number of things and and we we try to highlight the fact that the turning point is not necessarily turning to the downside, right? It's not necessarily a negative thing. Uh, it depends on what sector you're thinking about, but there could be a turning in inflation. We're going to talk about this with the chart that's showing right here, or a turning that's that's really interesting in this new year within residential uh, sectors, or thinking about services, thinking about central banking, thinking about yields. So the the turning point uh, in this this rotation, if you will, uh, starts out, I think, in this back big macro theme. And the first theme, as I just hinted to, is this chart that I'm showing you here is you know, we're past the worst of the inflation period. You can see the spike in the uh, particularly in the CPI durable. So that's your used vehicles. That was the big story right back in the day when supply chains were constrained. And we had a lot of shortages, particularly in the semiconductor space, used car prices skyrocketed. But there was a little bit of a lag time 
when we saw the peak show up uh, in the services component. So that's your darker line there that's dotted. Uh, but either way you slice and dice it, we're past the peak. And that's kind of this, this turning point that we're playing into. And that, and that certainly is, has ramifications for bonds, for estimating the equity risk premium, uh, the, the, the way in which investors think about the decision uh, allocating to equities, allocating to bonds, what's the premium that they need to get in order to find equities attractive. A lot of this does boil down to the experience of the inflation metric. So I wanted to highlight that right off the bat, because again, the, the, this has its uh, kind of influences in the rest of the section. So that's that's the one big turning point from the inflation story. I think by the end of 2024, we're going to see inflation a lot closer to the Fed's 2% target. It'll take a little bit of time to get to that last you know, 2% number, but you're starting to see even now as we head uh, into the holidays here and then into 2024, we're starting to see inflation pass its peak, getting into a comfortable level. Market's certainly responding that to that point. So that's that's very important for investors to think about as we go into 2024. Now, what's funny, Jeff, is we're here we are recording, uh, thinking about our mid-year, and we talk about the end of the year. You know what's nice about all this? LPL Research does a mid-year outlook as well. <laughs> so we can update these as, as things progress. We can so only we be have, wrong for six months, Jeff. That's good. <laughs> that's, well, we we continue to evolve as more data comes in, right? That, that's the way we want to do it. We want to let the data speak for itself. We craft the narrative, but certainly as more information comes in, we hone the story, the, the market story. Uh, so inflation, certainly a kind of a fundamental tenant of thinking through uh, how markets both equities, fixed income, currencies, for that matter, central banks, uh, how they they react to that dynamic. So inflation's been been quite interesting to track on a month-on-month -month basis. The job market has also been really quite something to track post-pandemic. So with the implications of hybrid work, there's been such an incredible flexibility for people looking for, I guess you could say, the dream job. Uh, and so you saw coming out of the pandemic, firms were hiring pretty aggressively and firms were saying, hey, we don't care where you are <laughs> for a while, right? It, it's the, you know, wherever you are, you can be great from anywhere, uh, as LPL says. Well, that's had really interesting repercussions in the labor market. And that is, Workers have never found a better environment for them as workers. So you can see this graph. I'm just showing you two, two lines here of uh, wage growth, kind of income growth for those that are in a job over a period of time. They're not switching around. And then you say, okay, well, what is happening with people that are hopping from place to place or saying, hey, I think I can find a better job given the fact that I'm not required to move or at least maybe move as far as I uh, would otherwise have to. We've never seen the the premium, you could say, or the gap between these two lines as wide as we had just in the last year or so. Meaning the, the ability for workers 
to really get a, a sizable bump in pay. It's just just been incredible. So this is year on year growth uh, between the two two categories. Again, this has ramifications. Uh, talked about inflation now, labor market, and it and it's all about the idea of saying, okay, we know the labor market's shrinking. We know there's a greater percentage of folks that are uh, in the retiree category. So what's going to help an economy grow and reach that maximum potential uh, with a shorter or smaller labor force? Well, technology, uh, artificial intelligence certainly is one thing, but a flexible workforce, I think, is something that could actually be quite a positive influence in 2024, despite the headwinds. So this, again, going back to what I said earlier about the turning point, this theme of the outlook, it's not necessarily a negative theme. It's not necessarily a positive theme. It depends on what you're talking about, what categories you're talking about. So let's go to the next slide, just a, a, a kind of a double click into the interaction between firms and workers. So we we do know there's these spikes. You can see this uh, for the last several decades. So this this chart shows in that gray vertical shaded area the recessions over the last several decades, right? We had a recession in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, uh, of course, you know, around uh, 90, 91, of course, uh, 01, the great financial crisis. That's the widest gap there you see in 08 and 09. And, and the point is that during periods of uncertainty like this, you do see firms shifting from full-time to part-time work. I think it was worth highlighting as we think about how to how to continue to kind of get into the mindset of the firm. What does it mean for productivity? What does it mean for uh, the ability for firms to handle a slowdown if we have one? We think we are uh, going to have a slowdown. How do firms prepare for that? We're starting to see a little bit of this uptick already in firms hiring part-time workers as it relates to this, this category, part-time as a percentage uh, to full-time workers. This is something to watch. Uh, again, th- there's an opportunity in essence, you could say firms have spent a lot of time preparing for the slowdown. So a recession, if it hits in 2024, is certainly not going to be much of a surprise, right? Everybody was forecasting one last year as the data started to get a little more positive, uh, less and less. We're saying, hey, that that's our, our baseline anymore. But watch this. This is a leading indicator. It's helpful to kind of get a little bit under the headlines here into the details of how firms are responding uh, to business conditions. So let's go to this last slide here that I have and just kind of set the stage for the big picture. You know, you think about in, investors, there's always this, I think this love-hate relationship with the international space. Right. There's always some intrigue with emerging markets thinking about, can I get a little greater alpha in the portfolio if I allocate toward you know the internationals, whether it's internet, developed internationals or emerging internationals? I think the, the point that we want to make here in this turning point really for the globe is we think even though the U.S. will probably get most of its growth the latter half of 2024, U.S. will probably grow a little bit better, a little bit uh, stronger than the Eurozone. And I think that's important to think about. And you might say, well, wait a second, what about this, the risk of emerging markets? And you have these really hot numbers for emerging market growth. Well, remember, there these emerging market economies are growing from a lower base, meaning it's a lot easier to get 
a, a you know a higher percentage number because the base is so so much lower. Hence, you can see kind of this difference between uh, developed economies, emerging economies. But again, I want to kind of leave our, our audience thinking about the idea that despite uh, our our baseline thinking slowdowns coming, that does not necessarily mean there aren't going to be opportunities. It's going to be uh, an opportunity to be a, a savvy investor, if you will. And also the fact that even though you get a slowdown, that does not necessarily mean for the whole year, you'll see something negative. You could actually see positive growth for the year, even though we might see uh, a little stronger headwinds for the first half of the year. So that's the, that's the very big macro picture. We can have a little more dialogue, Jeff, but that, that's enough of me talking. Uh, let's get on to the rest of the categories within our outlook. Thanks, Jeff. Before we go on, uh, so, um, you know, we had two consecutive quarters of negative GDP in 2022, right? And, you know, that's not the official definition of recession, but could the question is, could we see something similar? Maybe it's just one quarter. Could we actually still see uh, a negative quarter uh, of GDP in 2024 and have the market, you know, hold up better than than it did certainly in 2022? Yeah, and and the ability to move on. So you think about where the economy has been coming out of this unusual shutdown period, and then this massive, you know, reopening, and then stimulus, excess savings, a lot of uncertainty with. Consumer still growing, but a real challenge with inventory management and trade because of supply constraints. So we had two consecutive quarters of negative growth in 2022. Consumer was still hot, uh, but we had uh, contraction overall. I think that's a that's a a great way to anticipate and think about. Well, what could 2024 look like? Could it repeat some of that? The answer is yes. Once the consumer kind of slows down, maybe businesses don't slow down as much. And you have a market that responds saying, hey, we've we've anticipated a recession for the last year and a half now. We're finally getting it. In some ways, I think the markets could say, all right, we're we're at this period. Now we can move on to the next chapter. Markets are always forward looking, right? They're always going to say, well, all right, here we are now. Let's think about those building out those expectations uh, for uh, the next six to nine, 12 months. Uh, yeah. Just one one last little quick uh, reminder, and our, our listeners know this. You know, typically, recessions are periods when you have two negative quarters. Not necessarily all the time. So for example, in 2001, we only had one quarter of negative growth, then it was positive again, then negative. So there was no two consecutive quarters there, but yet a recession. You have to go all the way back to 1947, right out of the World War II, where you had two consecutive quarters of negative growth, but no recession, as the economy was retooling and reallocating labor and capital. So a lot of interesting uh, ways to say maybe history will rhyme with 2024, probably not repeat, but uh, certainly rhyming. Uh, so that's, that's uh, you know, there, there are always opportunities. That's how I think I, I like to leave it from the macro standpoint. There's always opportunities, whether an economy is slowing or growing or expanding. Uh, always opportunities for investors. Wonderful. So thanks for that, Jeff. Let's move on to the uh, stock section. So here I, I did add uh, a, a chart just to the SP 500 to acknowledge the the breakout that we just had over uh, 4,600. So we are now at a new 2023 high on that index. That index has been up six straight weeks. Same with the NASDAQ. 
So just a, a really nice run. We're right around 12% off the lows. Really strong run. So a lot of people are talking about how we're overbought, but we actually think that momentum, you know, coupled with a pretty good fundamental foundation, uh, you know, pretty good earnings season. And then you've got uh, positive seasonality working for us for the rest of the year. So we, we think we could make a run uh, at 4,800 in the next, call it two, three months. However, we got to get through this 4,700 to 4,725 range where there's a little bit of technical resistance first. Um, also want to point out, as we do on the bottom of this chart, that the breadth has been pretty good lately. So that's another reason to be encouraged uh, and think that maybe this, this momentum can, uh, can carry us higher. And as you'll see here shortly, our forecast for the S&P at year-end 2024 allows for uh, further gains, even above the previous all-time high uh, from uh, the start of, of uh, last year. So let's um, keep moving here. Um, got several equity charts from the Outlook uh, to walk through. First, this is a really simple one, but I, I think it's a good reminder that um, you know equities move in cycles, right? And so after you've gone through the first year of a bull market, which we did in October, year two following that first year uh, is almost always positive. Certainly, it's it's always been positive in this look back to 1949. Uh, and we expect that to repeat again. We expect stocks to be higher from October 12th, 2023 to October 12th, 2024. Of course, the bull market doesn't line up exactly with uh, the calendar year, but um, but close enough. So uh, the year two average for, for the S&P 500 is about 13%. Our forecast is not quite for that strong of a gain, uh, but still, um, you know, made a high single digit gain nonetheless. Um, so, um, you know, Jeff, you, you set up the turning point theme here, uh, you know, with regards to inflation. Well, it's also going to be, we think, a turning point for yields. Um, we've already seen that here just in recent weeks with the 10-year yield moving down sharply. Stock market's been very sensitive to uh, moves in yields. Uh, that relationship has flipped because when yields get high and people start worrying that they're going to get higher, stocks go down when yields rise. However, the opposite is true at lower yields where the market actually likes yields rising. Like for example, coming out of, a, uh, of an economic slowdown. Um, we're in a period where the market, the stock market wants lower yields. And so um, you can see that on the far right, that's the correlation. That just means uh, yields up, stocks down. So this is an opportunity for stocks, we think, as yields move lower. And our forecast for yields is for them to move lower, not dramatically so, but to move lower as the Fed um, uh, you know, pauses and then eventually cuts maybe by mid-year uh, and economic growth slows. So um, this is a positive story. Uh, if yields cooperate, we think stocks will respond positively. I mentioned, um, you know, that this is uh, a period where you've got some fundamental support, right? The uh, It's not just, um, you know, positive momentum or falling inflation and the Fed helping stocks. It's also earnings. So um, we're going through a turning point in earnings and that we're coming out of an earnings recession. Uh, you see, uh, you just see the annual Earnings numbers here for the S&P 500. Actually, 217 is probably too low for 2023. We'll see. We got one more quarter to go. Consensus is 219. 
And then we think we can go to 235 in 2024. So that's about 8%, uh, an 8% increase roughly off of that 217 number. So maybe the growth rate's a little bit smaller depending on where 2023 shakes out. But this is this is a really solid earnings story. Uh, we're moving into a new, uh, a new environment uh, for earnings where they can do some of the heavy lifting to push stocks higher and won't be so reliant on the macro picture, even though the macro picture is getting better. Uh, so Jeff, you uh, stole a little bit of my thunder uh, here on this chart, the equity risk premium. This just uh, compares um, how much earnings a stock index is producing, compares that to how much an income a bond index or a bond is uh, producing. So we use um, the S&P 500 earnings yield here, which is just the inverse of the PE. Okay, so that's earnings yield. Compare that to the 10-year treasury yield. So when I ran this a couple of weeks ago, it was about it was about even. So the earnings yield and the 10-year treasury yield and the, I think it was about, I don't know, 4-4 four, four at this point, um, were, were equal. So what does that mean? Why does this matter? It means that on a valuation basis, investors should be indifferent between stocks and bonds. But because stocks are more risky, right, in theory at least, you should be compensated for taking that extra risk. So what this says is risk reward on equities isn't quite uh, as attractive as bonds. So we're coming into 2024 kind of almost indifferent between stocks and bonds, uh, but we do think it makes sense to have maybe a little bit less cash than your target and throw that into the bond market, have a little bit of an overweight to uh, fixed income. So um, here's my last equity slide, and then I'll have Jeff, you weigh in on this. Anything jumps out at you. Um, so um, when we ran this a couple weeks ago, we were around 45.60. We're obviously higher than that. Um, so we'll call it a 19 PE. If we carry that PE forward a year and maybe increase it just a bit to 19 and a half, and then we take that 235 S&P 500 earnings number that I mentioned and grow that about 6%. You get to a preliminary target of, of $250 in S&P earnings for 2025. So at the end of 2024, market looks forward. We'll be looking at that 2025 earnings number uh, at 250. You do the math there, you get 48.75. So we have put our range. Here is our target, a range of 48.50 to 49.50. For year in 2024, given the recent rally, it's actually not quite as far away as we put on this slide. It is more like 6% away. But then you add the yield, you get to 8. Now, we think this actually could be a little bit conservative because uh, it's probably a little bit of upside if, if companies can um, produce some margin expansion. Uh, and then the revenue side, I think, is conservative because you just have to get inflation of maybe you know, 3% on top of GDP of one for the year. That's 4% revenue growth. That relationship doesn't hold exactly, but it's usually pretty close. So you just hold margins and you grow revenue somewhere around 4%. You get some share buybacks. Interest rate stability can help. Uh, we think it's pretty easy to get to, um, you know, call it 6 7% earnings growth, at least for the next uh, couple of years. So. Um, you know, hopefully we're too conservative. Hopefully we end up doing better. Uh, that's our forecast for um, fair value on the S&P 
so any thoughts there, Jeff? What what jumps out at you? Well, I, I think it's helpful, you know, for our listeners just to again kind of focus on why it's so important. It's so important to show that graph you did earlier, Jeff. Not that we need to go back to it, but with the equity risk premium, that decision between allocating to stocks and bonds. And you say, well, wait a second, there's actually another question out there that's implied in that, and that is the cash allocation. Uh, and you actually referenced it, Jeff. I, I just wanted to underscore it for the listeners to think, all right, well, this it's been an unusual period in the last little bit because cash has been so attractive. You know, the volatility of the market and, you know, the fact that, you know, a lot of fixed income investors were really changing their expectations uh, almost from, you know, month to month on central bank policy. And so, you know, with, with high uh, Fed funds rate, high rates, cash was so attractive. We don't think 2024 is going to be quite that uh, attractive for cash. Hence, I think that's that's a really great uh, thought to think about as, as you prepare for the coming year. Putting that cash to work, I think, is going to be a really interesting uh, thought experiment, an important uh, investment thesis as we uh, go through uh, the coming year. So put, put the cash to work. You are providing a perfect segue for the bond market. Um, so uh, back to normal, we've got a slide in here that we've shown some of you before. The um, the fact that sort of 3 to 5% on bond yields is normal, right? Certainly zero is not normal. <laughs> we did that. We did enough right. of that. Let's let's move on to, to something normal. Um, so our forecast for year-end 2024 is 375 to four and a quarter on the 10-year yield. Uh, and you can see here um, we're right around the, the high end of that range. So this is the 10-year treasury yield, um, you know, last click, 428. Uh, so a touch above uh, our range. Uh, we had been at a four and a quarter to 475 range. So we're down, you know, about a half a percent off of that. This, it all ties together, you know, Jeff, you alluded to it. We get lower inflation, helps yields come down. Slower growth, of course, helps yields come down. That supports both stocks and bonds. So the other piece of why we we think you know bonds look as good as stocks is because you have the potential for falling yields to give you a kicker on top of uh, pretty attractive income levels. So uh, like like bonds and stocks, uh, frankly, but uh, both offer maybe a little bit of upside uh, beyond our uh, our forecast. So th this is um, so Lawrence Gillum, our chief fixing strategist, um, you know, put together these scenarios. Um, if we have a recession. So that sort of looks like a normal recession, uh, you'll do even better off your bond uh, bond investments because we're probably going to have much lower yields than where we are now. Mm -hmm. uh, that is not our expectation. Probability of that is, is we think is is fairly low. The middle scenario much more likely, uh, kind of our base case. Maybe you get a mild recession, maybe you don't. It probably doesn't bring yields down that much. Um, but that's kind of where you get to our 375 um, and uh, to four and a quarter. Maybe we don't get four rate cuts next year like the market's saying now, but you know maybe you get two, maybe you get three, uh, and that can certainly support uh, bond investments. And then the last scenario, which we also think is is unlikely, where you get a reacceleration of economic growth, a reacceleration of inflation, pushing yields uh, much higher, and then you could see some losses in bonds again. Again, low probability, not our base case, but certainly, uh, you know, something to keep in the back of your mind. So here's the chart I alluded to, what's normal, right? Three to 5% on the 10-year yield is normal. It's pretty cool that this chart goes back to 1880. 
Um, I've even seen yield charts that go back hundreds of years more than that, which is which is amazing. Uh, but the point here of this chart is just to share that we are in the normal range, right? Yields in general should be about in line with nominal GDP, which is real GDP, what's reported, and we all watch every quarter plus inflation. So, um, you know, when we just hit five not too long ago, that was kind of the high end of normal. We think we'll be in the normal range uh, in uh, 2024. We're we're already in that range now. And we think we're going to stay there. So um, credit, you know, we're not still not big fans of going too far out on the risk spectrum in terms of credit, like, for example, high yield bonds um, or, or bank loans or things like that. And here's one of the reasons why you see, you know, S&P, the bond rating agency, is actually downgrading more companies than they are upgrading right now. Plus, spreads are so tight. You know, the, the earnings or the yield that you get from higher risk bonds compared to lower risk bonds like the treasuries, uh, that spread is just, we don't think, is uh, wide enough to really justify taking on too much risk. So still pretty conservative outlook in the bond market. Um, so I um, I also threw um, one of the geopolitics slides in here, increasingly complicated landscape. By the way, we didn't get into the uh, election in here, the presidential election. We're going to cover a lot of that in the mid-year outlook. Uh, frankly, we think geopolitics globally matters much more, certainly in the first half of the year. Uh, so more to come on the election later. But uh, in geopolitics, we think currencies is important. Um, the um you know the dollar has been very strong recent years but um you know that's taken it we think to a place where it's a little bit expensive so you know it's really hard to predict currencies but we think we're probably going to see some dollar weak dollar weakness over the next uh year or two especially as the fed um cuts rates and if we're right in our interest rates uh fall um this is a purchasing power parity look i want to get your thoughts on this Jeff, essentially, what's the purchasing power of the yen versus the dollar? What's the purchasing power of the euro versus the dollar? And, and are they equivalent or not? Right. And I think what we're seeing here, Jeff, is that is that they're not. The dollar goes much further, uh, which maybe suggests that these international currencies are too cheap. I think part of it, too, ties into the the, um, the growth outlook on the international scale, you know, thinking about if the U.S. can have a little more stability, as we've seen really coming out of the, the pandemic, um, the, the value in essence, the, the purchasing power, the stability uh, <clears throat> of the dollar will be uh, attractive. But I think you're right, Jeff, to think about what central bank activity will do, how synchronous will the ECB, Bank of Japan, uh, other major central banks around the globe will be with the Fed and it's and it's very possible, yeah. The Fed starts moving first, and then uh, you know that could ease some of the strength of the dollar. I think the other one that clearly should get your attention when you're looking at a graph like this is you look at the incredible, uh, you know, downside uh, power of the yen, and of course that has been quite an interesting uh, experiment. I think in the last several years, thinking about in more recent days, of course think okay inflation is is running hot now in Japan 
so a lot of investors are starting to think, okay, well, will the Bank of Japan finally move beyond its uh, aggressive easing and an accommodative stance? Uh, so I think I think one of the turning point themes, as we're calling it here in the outlook, I think would is is going to be really really important as we think about uh, yen, particularly yen, uh, as it relates to dollar. So that's that's kind of the big picture. Uh, one of the reasons why we care about the dollar is uh, certainly it has ramifications for those that want to maybe dip their toe into the emerging market waters. Uh, so, you know, typically you'll, you'll want to see a little bit of the easing of the strength of the dollar, maybe maybe find uh, some of the internationals a little more attractive. But this this clearly is, is I think, um, setting up for a turning point, uh, particularly when you look at uh, what's happening in Japan. Yeah, the, the BOJ kind of slowing the market's roll over the weekend, in fact, <laughs> right? Uh, so um, saying that it's not quite time to uh, to take off that accommodation and start tightening rates. So uh, we'll see what happens uh, in the coming months with with the yen, but that'll be real interesting to see. It's 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 very cheap. It's probably too cheap, and um, you know could be uh, could be on the verge of making a move higher, sustained move higher. So um, so thanks for that, Jeff. We'll go ahead and and wrap up there. Again, we're really excited to bring you the outlook for twenty twenty four. It's um, it's a lot deeper than what we just went through. <laughs> we just went through it real fast. So uh, hopefully you like it. Um, and um, we'll be back certainly with more um, content from the 24 Outlook in the next couple of weeks as we continue to do uh, market signals and, uh, and and finish up the year. So with that, uh, thanks, Jeff, for joining. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another edition of LPL Market Signals. We will be uh, back with you next week. Take care, everybody. Thanks so much. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.